This Bible question I'm recording for myself. Recently, in a period of less than two weeks, three very close men in my life died. Two of them suddenly, and one after a slow fade from cancer. What does the Bible have to say about that tearing away I experienced? Death. Of course, you felt it too. We'll start with this interesting fact from the Bible. Two men are reported to have never experienced death. Enoch in Genesis and the prophet Elijah in the book of 2 Kings. Other than that, all of us have felt that tearing away of losing someone precious to us. How does God feel about death? We eavesdrop on God in Ezekiel 33 when he tells us, I have no pleasure even in the death of the wicked. In the New Testament, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, demonstrates how God feels about death. In the village of Nain, he crosses paths with a funeral procession. It's a widow's only son. We're told Jesus was moved with compassion. The Greek simply means churning guts. That's how God feels about death. Then, in episode 107, we got a closer look at how Jesus feels in the raising of Lazarus from the tomb. Shortly before raising Lazarus, Jesus, standing in front of his sepulcher, begins to sob. It's not a Scandinavian, blow-your-nose-into-a-Kleenex sort of thing. The word is used of a snorting of a horse. I mean, from deep down inside, Jesus is bawling. We saw it earlier in his life in what he does when he hears of the death of his boy cousin John the Baptizer, senselessly murdered by Herod and Herod's wife. When he hears the news of the murder, Jesus kind of loses it. He tells his disciples, we got to get away for a while. And of course, if you know much about the life of Jesus, you know Jesus knows what it's like to die because he did in the most excruciating way. You can listen to that in episode 116. We can know from scripture if your loved one has died or you are dying, Emmanuel, God with us, knows and he cares deeply. He cares because this was not his idea. God is eternal. And as we learned in Genesis chapter 2, man was made in his image. And part of that is no death, no death of man or animals, we believe. In episode 50, in the book of Judges, the Nazarite vow was described. Those dedicated to God in a special way for a season, or even for life, had several rules. One of those rules was, they were never to touch the dead. God is communicating, stay away from death. This was not my idea. In both creation and in the Nazarite vow, as part of God's image bearers, every cell in our body is wired to live. So death should be extremely odd. The enemy. The Bible tells us where death comes from. It traces it back to its source. In Genesis chapter 2, God says to Adam, You eat from this tree, you shall surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, we discover that's precisely what Adam and his partner Eve did. Romans 5 in the New Testament summarizes that action in the garden. Guided by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, By the sin of the one man, death came to all men because all have sinned. There it is. We've traced it back to his source. Created to live eternally, sin brought death. 
We learn in Genesis chapter 3, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, which brought death, God himself perhaps caused the first death, the death of one or more animals to clothe Adam and Eve. In episode 22, we learned about the first pair of brothers. Cain murders his brother Abel. By Genesis 5, human beings are described as follows. Every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. And this is what triggered human history's greatest apocalypse, nearly universal death from the flood. We learn in episode 24, after the flood, God put limits on the lifespan of man. In earlier chapters, man's life was measured in centuries, with some nearly a millennia, but now it's set at 120 years. Then comes death. And not only death, but prior to death, life will be no easy task. While death was not God's idea, death of a believer is said to be precious to God. Read it in Psalm 116. As a matter of fact, read that whole psalm. It's a song, a masterpiece of living in a way that dying is precious to God. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, we looked at Stephen's death. Stephen is the church's first martyr. As Stephen is literally a stone's throw away from death, he looks to heaven and says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. No other place in the New Testament is Jesus said to be standing. A handful of times he's said to be seated at the right hand of God. Seated in that culture meant you had finished a task, but here alone Jesus is standing. And I suspect I know why. He's standing because Stephen is coming. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. For at death, as we learned in the Old Testament theme, God is with us fully once again. We're also told in Scripture, God's people, his saints, do not need to fear death. Psalm 139 is perhaps my favorite psalm. Now here again, it's poetic language, not doctrine. But here is what it says. You wove me together in my mother's womb, and you ordained all my days before there was one of them. It sounds like God has our days numbered, that until the appointed day of our death, we're, how shall I say this, invincible. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 is also worth a look. Here the writer says that Jesus shared our humanity, and in doing so, through his death and resurrection, broke the power of the one who holds death and freed us from the fear of death. And the one who holds the power of death is the enemy, Satan. So what's it like to die? I've been there for a number of people as they drew their last breath. It's really a holy moment. Sometimes it's very sudden, like my brother Roger and my dear friend Pix. They're taken in a moment. Other times... It's more like my friend Simon, who had a long time to say goodbye. Like Jacob at the end of Genesis. We're told of Jacob when he was old, he called his children to his bedside, blessed them, tucked his feet into his bed, and went to sleep with his fathers. Sleep, that's often used in scripture of death. When my firstborn daughter was about three, we went through a period of time where she just wouldn't stay in bed. I'd read her stories, pray over her, bless her, and then I'd tell her to stay in her bed and leave the room. But for a season of time, maybe two or three months, 
I'd hear her footsteps run across the floor to the door of her room. She knew she couldn't come out, but she'd lay there at the crack of the door, and she'd call out to me to come back and read her more stories, sing, or bless her. Sometimes I couldn't help it. I'd go back in. But on four or five occasions, when I didn't, she fell asleep at the crack of the door. I would push her body with the door to get inside the room, then I'd pick that delightful little person up in my arms, put her back in her bed, where she'd stay till she woke up the next morning. That is what it's like for many people to die. A slow fade and waking up in a whole new world. In 1 Corinthians 15, which by the way is a must-read chapter, if someone you love has died or you are on your way to death, Paul says that our bodies are a seed, a seed planted in the ground that germinates into something magnificent and much more than a seed. It's not over when we die. Our bodies are cocoons, precious ruins that contain our spirits, personalities, all those things that go into being an image bearer of God. God is not done with us when we are dead. So what happens after we die according to scripture? Perhaps some of you have heard about near-death experiences or have read books like Heaven is Real. According to Jesus, the road to heaven is a narrow path and few find it. So I've often asked myself, why does everybody come back from heaven? Why doesn't anyone ever come back from hell? 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, For those who believe, who go all in on Jesus as Messiah and Lord, the substitute for our sin, who was raised from the dead, Paul writes, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now we could take a whole other Bible question, or maybe three or four Bible questions, to talk about what happens at death to our spirits. I would encourage you to read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus gave in Luke 16. This is unique. It's the only parable that mentions someone by name, causing many scholars to believe Jesus is telling a real story. In this parable, the rich man's spirit goes to a place of punishment, and the poor leper Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. This seems to suggest a waiting room. The Old Testament word for this waiting place is Sheol. The New Testament word, Hades. It sounds like what happens when our bodies die is we go to this waiting room, either for believers or unbelievers. I would suggest when we die, time also ceases to be a factor. It's not like we're tearing pages off the calendar in this waiting room waiting for what could come next. Have you ever fallen asleep and woke up the next morning and it seemed like no time had passed at all? Maybe that's a word picture for what this waiting room is like. Romans 14 says something else happens at some point. Verse 10 says we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. As you read through the New Testament, believers, followers of Jesus appear before this judgment seat, it would seem primarily to give an account for their stewardship. Those who are not believers appear for judgment. When you think about it, doesn't that make sense that there would be an accounting for our lives? And after this judging our stewardship, then what? I encourage you to forget about the angels with wings and the harps stuff. 
When we're recreated for eternity, won't we be very much like we were created? Listen to episode 15 and 16 about God's original plan for Adam and Eve in Eden. I believe you will be you, but sinless, ageless, boundless. I believe it'll be very much like Eden, as God intended originally. Animals? Why wouldn't all God's creatures be there as God intended? And jobs? Absolutely. He gave Adam and Eve jobs. I had to give a eulogy at my brother's funeral. There in the front row were my surviving siblings. All six of us who remain are all in on Jesus. I mentioned in that eulogy that all six of us intend to be cremated. Then I said, and here's why. If we were embalmed, it would take the undertaker days to get the smiles off our faces. That's really true. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die, well, that's gain. So hard to lose him, but we were so glad for him. And who do we have to thank for that? Our living Lord Jesus Christ.